This is Matt Brown, and you're listening to Just a Good Conversation. Kevin Jones was raised in one of the toughest, most dangerous areas in Los Angeles. Working a low-end job and becoming a father was not in his plans. Finding himself homeless 2,500 miles away from home was not in the plans either. All of that was going to be very easy to deal with, as compared to the secret he was about to find out. When you know that you got the devil on your heels, you have to do things to protect yourself. So I went to the child support office and signed myself up. And the people in the child support office said, no, Mr. Jones, don't do that. Wait for the mother to come and, and, and charge you for child support. I said, no, no, no. I'm Matt Brown, host of Just a Good Conversation. Take a listen to our archives. My guests have ranged from world-famous photographers, Oscar winners, college professors, and basketball coach Jason Flowers. I can vividly picture it right now, me sitting at the, the dining room table, eating cereal. Uh, it was either Frosted Flakes or Rice Krispies. Uh, and asking my mom how I was going to go to college from a financial standpoint. Like, like I was probably first or second grade um, because nobody in our family had gone to college. You know, it, it was just not to overanalyze the deal. It was just being realistic. Um, but by that time, you know, you figure out, you know, there's grants and there's financial aid and there's things to make ways to make it happen so obviously definitely um, not going to college was not an option the rest of my conversation with Jason can be found on our archives at justagoodconversation.com let's take a quick break for a sponsor before diving into part two of my conversation with Kevin Jones Maine Farmhouse Brands was started by Dan McCool a healthcare professional his goal was to make premium soap Most people may not realize how important the right soap is for their health and the difference between soap and detergent. Soap is made from natural ingredients like animal and plant fats, whereas detergent is made from synthetic, often harsh chemicals, even fossil fuels like petroleum. Maine Farmhouse Brands makes their own soap with natural ingredients, free from harsh chemicals. So if you want to keep your skin healthy and clean, I would recommend using Maine Farmhouse Brands soap instead of detergent. You can find their body wash, shaved soaps, laundry soap, and beard oils, and more at mainefarmhousebrands.com. You're the one people, you're the one person, and there's many of you, was, that people want to help. The way the structure's set up, government assistance, the shelter, yes, he made a couple of bad decisions, but he's not a bad guy. Right. Let's get him back up on his feet, and Kevin can be a good person in society again. Yeah. It's the guy with the invisible dog screaming at invisible friends, stabbing people in the necks and, you know, on the subway and stealing stuff and doing fentanyl and getting four overdoses, you know, doses a month. That's the. Th- one people see and go, why are we spending all the money on this? Okay. All right. Well, look, now if we're going to talk about this, we got to talk about more of the story. Right. Right. I don't, I don't necessarily know the whole story. Right. Right. But your, but I'm saying your story is, if I know what I know, I'm saying 
Yes, every penny we spend on homelessness is for you. Like you're right. Let's right. get Kevin right. Right. But but me and people like me, we're only a certain percentage of that population. Right. And a small there. one, would you say? Or uh, I mean, you if, know them. If I'm guessing, it's it's small in comparison to what you see on the TV all, every mm-hmm. day. Well, you and I can go for a ride right now, and uh, I could sit, and you could be the the pipe piper and point out, no, not a chance, not a chance. He's got a chance. She's got a chance. They don't have a chance. Well, let me let me take this as an opportunity. Um, for all the good-hearted people who who pack up on the weekends and they go down to Skid Row or the Skid Row in your city, if there's a Skid Row in Santa Monica, if there's a Skid Row in Burbank, if there's a Skid Row like like on, there was a Skid Row in uh, some other city on the news recently, for all of you good-hearted folks who fix the sandwiches and the drinks and the napkins and the hygiene kits, let me share some information with you based on my experience while I was down there. Number one, you don't want to go down there naive. You don't want to go down there with the mindset of, okay, we're going to go do something good this weekend. Um, And I say that to you. There's nothing wrong with doing something good. There's nothing wrong with having a desire to do something good. But I want you to know that there's a certain amount of population down there that knows you're coming. And they're prepared for you. Here's what I mean by that. While I was living down there, Skid Row, uh, I learned some powerful stuff. And, and some of the population even has a, has a scheme, has a, has, a, has a plan for the do-gooder. They know that Sally's going to come from Riverside. And every Saturday she comes with her sandwiches and her, and her hygiene kits. They know they don't want the sandwiches or hygiene kits, but they take the, the, the sandwiches and hygiene kits from Sally from Riverside and they exchange them for what they do want. So you spent, so Sally spent all that time making sandwiches in Riverside and she comes down to Skid Row and she wants to feed a whole bunch of people. But what Sally doesn't know is that the people who are expecting her to come have other plans for the food she's prepared to deliver. They're going to exchange those for other things that they have deemed valuable in, in that community. So the thing I would tell you, the thing, the thing I would tell the person who's going to do good, who's coming from other locations, the person who has a heart for caring for the homeless. The thing I'm going to tell you is don't go down there. Naive, wherever your skid row is, in your city, I don't care if you're in Riverside, I don't care if you're in Burbank, I don't care if you're in Torrance, I don't care whatever city you're in, San Jose, uh, Atlanta, Georgia, don't go down to the, the homeless location naive. Make sure that your safety is still a priority. Make sure that you are aware that they know you're coming. And that even though you might, you might give 150 sandwiches out, maybe 10 or 20 would really appreciate them because the rest have something planned for what you're giving. The rest decide, you know what? I don't need this hygiene, hygiene kit. And some of them use stuff. They use stuff for new currency to make exchanges, to do a barter system thing down there. Sure. 
So all the effort and the work that you put in uh, to provide for the full population of homeless people as you, as you come into that community, don't come in naive. That's all I want. To, there's a whole lot more I want to share on it, but it's, it's important. Well, no, it's a good point. Yes, because just, you, can't, you can't determine between the, the guy like me that's homeless who really appreciates the turkey sandwich, the bag of chips, and the apple juice. And someone else who doesn't need or want the turkey sandwich because they're going to exchange it for something else that they've deemed more valuable. Right. Your time in Georgia, in the shelter, the 90 days is up. What's your plan? Uh, I'm trying to remember exactly what happened at that point, but I'm thinking, okay, since I'm functionally homeless and working a job or some kind of job, um, I'm either making preparations to leave Georgia and head back to Los Angeles or California, um, or I'm trying to figure out what's next regarding new shelters. So I don't remember moving into another shelter at that point. I think I ended up leaving Georgia. It was 2014, so yeah, I had to be back in California. I ended up coming back to California in 2015. How'd you get here? Um, made enough money, I guess, and hopped on a on a Greyhound. Whoa, that's a that's a good trip. Yeah. Well, when you're, it's interesting to say you were making enough money. To survive, but not to get yourself where you can pay first and last month's rent, get yourself in an apartment, have the credit that they would take you in because you've been evicted. All those strikes go against you. Right. And so it's like, listen, I had a bad patch. I got myself straight, but I can't come up with the, you know, two grand. Right. To pay first and last and the start the rent. And then my credit score, if you look at it, mm-hmm. took a shitter because I've been evicted. So I went from 720, now I'm down to five, yeah. whatever it is. So you're caught in a bit of a riptide cycle where you just can't really get out. Exactly. But or you got you... enough to get yourself home. Yes. Especially if you started the cycle at 580 and dropped down to three 350. <laughs> right? So, <God>. so <laughs> why do you think at least coming back to California is a better place. Well, I had a daughter. Okay. And she was graduating high school in 2015. Um, now, have you guys been in communication during this three-year period? Sporadically, yes. As often as I could, whether I'm writing letters, uh, my daughter would let me know eventually that the letters I wrote were hidden from her, so she never got them. Uh, so when, when, when the parent... When the other parent doesn't like you or you all are not in agreement, uh, certain things may or may not be done. Right. So letters that I would write um, to my daughter were conveniently put in a shoebox and the shoebox was stuffed on the top shelf in the, in the garage. And my daughter says she never saw them until, until a few years later. Was mom aware of your issue in Georgia? Uh, yes. So was that part of the unhappiness in the relationship or was it just sour before you left regardless? Well, again, it goes back to 
when, when, when the two partners realize that they made bad choices in choosing each other, um, you just decide you don't like somebody. Right. Uh, so there's nothing good that person can do from now on. Yeah. You know, if you could have walked on water, it wouldn't have mattered. It wouldn't have mattered. You know, if you, you make screw ups in life, uh, intentional or unintentional, uh, you suffer the consequences for those things. You know, in your heart, you're not a bad person. You know, in your heart, you love your child. Uh, you know, you had a mental plan or idea of how you wanted things to go, but things didn't go that way. So while I was a truck driver over the road, I had, I was OTR at, at some trucking companies. Mm-hmm. Um, even being OTR wasn't good enough for the other parent. Uh, the other parent would call me, when are you coming home? You need to come see your daughter. Well, you, if you're an OTR truck driver, you're allowed, especially a rookie OTR truck, truck driver, you're allowed home time, a certain amount of home time. And home time does not necessarily mean the city you live in. It means the state that you came from. Uh-huh. So just because you're allowed to come back to California does not mean you're allowed to come back to Los Angeles. You know, so you're on the road as a truck driver for three weeks at a time. And then maybe you're allowed a week off. Maybe you're allowed three days to to five days off. But home time, if there's any truckers listening, home time means the state that you came from. So like I work. Why is that? Just that's just how it is. So, for example. I worked for my, my, my virgin truck companies fresh out of trucking school in 2002 was Swift. That's where a lot of the rookies go. Okay. So I went to work for Swift. Uh, Swift puts you on the road for three weeks. And you're, you're, if you're regional or if you're OTR or if you're, if you're West Coast to East Coast, uh, if you're Los Angeles to New York, which I was for a little while, you get home when you get home. And then when your time off, when your time off, uh, and, and if I'm incorrect about this at all, let some other truckers <laughs> call into your show and, and tell you what the real deal is about the trucking thing in the home time. But my experience with the home time as a rookie was you worked those three weeks or so on the road. And then when it was time for you to go off home time, in, in parentheses, in, in, in quotes, home time was the state that you came from. So the city, the, the city that my trucking company, uh, Swift, was located in was Fontana. I don't live in Fontana. I live in South Central L.A. So the trucking company will bring me back to Fontana. Now I got to figure out how I'm going to get from Fontana to Los Angeles. You didn't have a car at the point. Because I didn't have a car at that point. So that's funny. You're driving a 18 wheeler, a half a million dollar vehicle, mm-hmm. but you didn't have a little beat up Honda Civic. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, two yeah. unmatching doors and a bent TV, you right. know, antenna. But you didn't have. Right. I mean, and you know, chalk it up to irresponsibility, poor decisions, cars breaking down on you. Just, just Murphy's law. Uh, anything that can happen will happen. Um, That's one of the reasons why I took the trucking job is because you're no longer homeless when you take a trucking job. Right. You got a car and a cab. You got a cab. 
right? You got a you got a cab. What you 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 can your refrigerator. You got a box to put your groceries in. You got two beds to sleep in. You got any other equipment that you add to the to the truck to make it a home like experience while you're on the road. Did you enjoy trucking? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. What was the craziest thing you saw? I mean, you 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 must have seen crazy weather. You must have seen crazy drivers. Saw crazy weather in Detroit, uh, about eight mile, eight mile in Detroit. Uh, caught in a winter storm there, uh, and the snow was the snow was up to the, like the top of my tires this, this particular winter, <laughs> the trucking tires. Right. Uh, and then on the west coast. It had to be Mount St. Helens <laughs> that I didn't know was Mount St. Helens at the time. Uh, so jokingly, uh, <coughs> jokingly, other truckers will talk about, you be careful to the rookies. They try to scare the rookies. They, 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 um, they would say, you be careful driving over that volcano up there. And new truck drivers, when they're crossing that bridge coming down the other side, coming down the other side of the mountain, I think it's Seattle or, <laughs> or wherever. The bridge is, is humongous and it's nothing but it's nothing but death on the other side of it. It's beautiful. It's beautiful, but if you don't drive that truck straight, you're taking that 96,000 pound <laughs> truck full over the side. Uh, so I'm, and I won't cuss on the channel. I don't know if I can. <laughs> you can, not. sure. Okay. You can. Uh, listen, I'm in the big rig, fully loaded, 96,000 pounds. I, I forget what I'm carrying. Uh, but the joke comes across the CB. Hey, be careful driving over that um, volcano, rookie. Now I'm shitting bricks. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, I'm like, what in the hell? What do you mean, volcano? This is a volcano? <laughs> now, of course, it's inactive. But I'm in the big rig, fully loaded. And shitting bricks, defecating on myself in the truck. Because I'm like, okay, calm down. You got to get this truck down off this mountain, off this volcano. At that point, I really didn't want to be a truck driver no more. I said, how are they not going to tell you that this is a volcano that you're driving over? Uh, but yeah, supposedly it's inactive. It, it hasn't exploded in a long time. You and I were kids when it blew up. Right, right. But see, I didn't like the idea. That there's a road over this damn volcano. I didn't like it at all. So I was like, you know what? Just I, From now on, I'm not driving no mountain cities. Send me in Nebraska. Send me through Lincoln. I flat lines. I want flat lines. Send me through Lincoln, Nebraska. From now Iowa, on. Kansas. Iowa, Arizona. They got, they got the tornadoes. And you're a, you'll be a little toy car listen, being whipped up listen, into the air. I'll try and drive through on, on good weather days. <laughs> What are you, Kevin, the good weather man? Look, look so I'm a city boy. So all I know is California earthquakes. You little sissy, South Central LA. Sorry, uh, but uh, what's no no kind of weather? No parts. Listen, all I know is West Coast earthquakes. And Surprise, to too, when you get them. I'm used to them. Sure. I'm used to earthquakes. Uh, don't drive me through no heavy snowstorms. Don't drive me through hail. no hurricanes. No Fog. hail. Uh, wind fog I did wind uh, don't drive me through um, over any volcanoes don't drive me over uh, as dispatch don't send me up tornado alley <laughs> but you know 
I had to drive through all of that anyway, uh, with with a lot of the routes that I took. I, I ended up going from from Phoenix, Arizona to uh, Reading, Pennsylvania. So I got a chance to see a whole lot of different things. You come back from Georgia to L.A. You got a baby girl now who's going to be graduating high school. What's what's going through your head? I mean, you're 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 going to be a more local father. You're going to be a presence, hopefully. Are you going to try to get a place, rebuild a life? What's going through this? I got to think sweaty palm moment. Yeah, um, back. To, glad to be back in Los Angeles. Uh, sick of being homeless. Um, begging myself. Or whoever's listening, when is this part of the journey going to be over? Uh, uh, getting back in my daughter's life on a visual. Um, not looking forward to any future uh, communications with her mom because our, our communication was just poor. Uh, she's decided what kind of person I am and totally written me off. Uh, so any, any communications are, are, are full of treachery or just total waste of time. Uh, where you just can't, you know, there are some parents who, who realize they don't get along, but they still get along good enough to co-parent the child. And then there are some parents who absolutely just can't talk at all. And there's just every time there's an attempt, every time there's an attempt to talk, there's a stone wall that gets thrown up. Hmm. So at some point, I realize I'm in that stone wall type of situation. So how do you be the best father you can be uh, to a daughter who still thinks you're the best thing since sliced bread? Um, how do you how do you be a good parent to a wonderful child? Uh, when everything else is is downhill, so that was my that was me figuring it out. Uh, so I hit Skid Row, um, got into a couple of shelters. Um, now there, now you see you you go to Skid Row, but is there no buddies, no pals, no mom you can call and be like, hey, I need a couch. Can you let me just crash? Give me absolutely not. I'm over forty. Absolutely not. Burn bridges. Uh, some rightfully so, uh, some mistakenly, uh, sometimes family gives up on you, uh, with hopes that you'll, you'll become a better person. Uh, sometimes family stick by you no matter what. Um, and, uh, the, the quick answer is no, Kevin, you're on your own, whatever you're going to build out of this life. It's between you and God. If there is a God out there that's watching over you and protecting you, you need a serious relationship with that person right now in order to get this thing fixed back on track. Right. Uh, so that's where it is. That's so you, where it was. So you go to Skid Row. Yeah. What, what is it? 2015. Yeah. Go to Skid Row 2015. Uh, stay there. Um each shelter has its own systems. Mm -hmm. A certain amount of time you can you can live there. 
So you bouncing around? Bouncing around at a few because you only get like maybe three months at this one, six months maybe at that one, three months at this one. So however long you're there or need to be there, functional or not, you got to move. You got to check out and move to another one. So I remember being on, I remember being in a, in a hotel, a, a Skid Row hotel on San Julian. Okay. That's closer to Fifth Street. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in there for 90 days. Uh, had to leave there. Went to another one. Uh, I think it was not, not Union Rescue Mission yet. It was, uh, was St. Vincent de Paul. On 4th Street, uh, St. Vincent de Paul is a nice, nice shelter. Um, in more of a shopping area, uh, more of a cultural shopping area than a Skid Row, but it's right next to Skid Row. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be homeless in Los Angeles or you find out that you're homeless in Los Angeles, you want to check out that St. Vincent de Paul shelter on 4th Street. Um, you want to look at Union Rescue Mission. Um, and, and, and the rest of them, LA mission, um, some have, have had a past reputation of don't check in there. Just a bad place. It's just as bad on the inside, but I don't know how they are now. Were, now, did you have a plan where you're thinking, okay, I just need 90 days. And again, saving money, worrying about credit, coming up with enough for first and second, you're in a very, very expensive place to live in LA. Mm-hmm. Where are you socking money away? And how are you thinking like, I need X to just get out of a shelter and get into a little shoebox? Well, that's the wonderful thing about these particular shelters, like Union Rescue Mission, for example. Uh, don't look at Union Rescue Mission by what you see on the outside. Don't even look at what you... At, at Union Rescue Mission of what you may see happening on the inside. Look at Union Rescue Mission from research that you've done about the place. Uh, they have internal employment in, okay. inside Union Rescue Mission. So if you are homeless or find yourself homeless, you can get yourself a bed in there and then they offer you work inside the shelter. Okay. Upstairs on the third or fourth floor, there's like a bank or a credit union for the homeless people that live there. So if you're serious about ch- turning your life around and bouncing back from whatever it was that got you there in the first place, mm-hmm. you work a job inside the place, a janitorial job and an administrative type job, uh, maybe a front desk type job, whatever they have available, um, custodial job or a kitchen job. When they pay you, you can sign up to have a certain amount of your check taken out and put in that savings account on the for, on the fourth floor. You can do that. Uh, but a lot of people ignore the programs that are at the Union Rescue Mission. Why? To their detriment. Why? I don't know. Uh, may, maybe folks are looking at the horrible stuff they see with their eyes and they don't feel safe in the Union Rescue Mission. But again, it's about you and how serious you are about recovering. Some people in the shelter might not be there for recovery. They're there because the Union Rescue Mission provides a meal three times a day. Did you feel like the odd man out because you're not smoking crack off to the side and you're just 
Kevin trying to get your shit together? Absolutely. And I thought it was, it was going to put a target on my back, but it didn't. Absolutely. Matter of fact, a lot of the homeless people started caring for me because they saw I was the, uh, they saw I was the outlier. Right. I mean, (laughs) you know, I had a guy, I had a guy saw me wearing my suit two or three days in a row. So he put two and two together and say, oh, he must have lost his clothing, which I had. I think I lost the luggage bag or something, and I had to sleep in my suit, a suit I went on a job interview with. I had to sleep in that suit for two or three days with my dress shoes because you can't take your dress shoes off or somebody will steal them. While you're sleeping. While you're sleeping. So I had to sleep in my dress, my suit and my dress shoes. And another guy in the shelter saw that. And he saw that I had really big feet. Like right now I have, I wear a size 15 shoe. Um, for whatever reason, my feet grew over these, over these past five or six years. So I used to be a 13, 14, uh, but now I'm a, you're still a growing boy. I guess at 53, <laughs> I guess I, so now I wear a size 15. So the person in the shelter, I don't know who it was. They saw the situation I was in. They observed that he has a larger foot. They went and found something and brought me a pair of sandals. Well, there's people, you never know who's watching you. And that's something else I said at the, at my last speaking engagement was you never know wherever you're at. You never know who's watching you. You never know a person's intent. You never know if they want to help you or hurt you. But while I was there, I had a number of people doing stuff for me. Another guy saw, saw that I was cold. And he went out into the Skid Row system. That whole that whole system, that, that 50 block radius, 50, I think it's whatever they call it. It's a radius co- community. Uh, 50 square blocks, I think. Uh, there's a system there where you can get certain things done. Like if you need a button sewn on a shirt, and this is all stuff I experienced. If you need a button sewn on a, on a shirt, there's a lady in the, in the third tent on the right, two blocks down, who sews buttons on shirts. But you have to be there long enough to know that. So a guy in the shelter saw that I was cold and needed something else, a, a, a hoodie or something to keep me warm. He said, I'll be right back. He went out in the community to one of those locations, and he got me a perfectly good burgundy Sweat top with a hood on it. He said, here you go, brother. Uh, stay warm. Did you see a, Did you see the money that they're spending on homelessness? Like L.A. County has spent $17 billion on homelessness. On what? Yeah, I mean, do you ask yourself on <laughs> what? I mean, other than you know it's a lot of salaries. A lot of people are employed. But you're you were in the thick of it, Kevin. Do you did you look around and say, "Oh, I see this money's here and the money's here and the money's here"? No, when you're homeless, you don't see the money. Um, if they're spending seventeen billion dollars on properties to build to put homeless people in, or or services buildings for services to provide for the homeless, maybe that's one thing. But of course, number one, they're not spending $17 billion on the homeless directly. They know not to give $17 billion to the homeless. 
So it's, it has to be going into either the services that are happening down there or somebody's pockets. One or the other. Right. How long did you spend on Skid Row? It's there for 2015. I left. Um, I was kind of all over the place. So 2015, I got there. But 2016, I started a job at the Los Angeles Country Club. I was a security officer at the Los Angeles Country Club for about a year and a half. Okay. So after work, I'd catch the bus down Wilshire Boulevard and get off in Skid Row and have to walk to to my shelter. So you have, if you're working, you can set up an agreement with the shelter and say, hey, here's proof that I'm working. Right. I need to come in late. And they'll save your bed for you. Sure. This is my hours. Right. Kevin These comes. are my hours. Right. Yeah. So. And that makes sense. Right. Right. I mean, five o'clock doesn't work for everybody if your job gets you off at 10. Yes. They're looking, the, the shelters are looking to help everybody, mm-hmm. but everybody doesn't want the help. There's only a certain population within the shelter that wants the help. So you have people who are living regular lives while they're going down there to live at the shelter. So they know they, know they have to go work their regular job, act normal. And then when they clock out, they're headed back to Skid Row to get in their bed at the shelter. Did you ever feel like if somebody found out you were working or or living on Skid Row while you were working, that you might lose your job or you might not get the job? No, because... You know, like how my voice sounds clean? Or you would look at me and say, I'd never think that about Kevin. Right. That's how I carried myself as well, uh, on the job or at the job interview. Uh, it's on a need-to-know basis. Mm-hmm. You just apply for the job, and nobody asks you really where you live. Yeah, uh, right. So because I came in clean-cut and well-groomed, well-spoken for the job. You're just Kevin Jones. I'm just Kevin Jones putting in an application. Uh, have, have, a, have somewhat of a resume that says I can do this, this particular job. And they brought me on. And my responsibility after clocking out each day was to stand out on Wilshire Boulevard across the street from the L.A. Country Club, mm-hmm. wait for bus number 20 or whatever. There was another bus that came to pick me up and take me back to Skid Row. The last stop was Skid Row. The last stop for the bus was Skid Row. So I did that as often as I could. And so you're there, that ends, then where are you bouncing around to? That ends, and um, I knew I needed to get out of that area. The time was ending there as, as well. I think I was in that, that, that hotel spot for a year. So the only other spot I could find was San Jose. California? Yeah. Yeah, because I had, I had worn myself out here. So you can't double dip after two years and go back to the mission? Yes, you can return okay. if, if there's something going on. Um, but there's rules with that. They, they don't allow certain types of... The, the system doesn't allow for certain types of double dipping. Okay. Uh, like, it, like if I spent my time there, if I did my 90 days, I got to go. Unless I made some type of arrangement where I can do 120 days. But the rule is 90 days. So... Somehow I found out about Montgomery Street Inn in San Jose. Wonderful. 
Yeah, you but, talk about but yeah, Celtics. but it's San Jose. What you gonna do? Right. I mean, right. What you gonna do? So I had to leave the country club. Now, how close are you to having money where you could get a place, rent a place? Are you close? At LA rent rates? No, <sighs> not close. Because I'm still paying child support on the job. Child support that I signed myself up for. That's another story. You signed yourself up. <laughs> you have to sign. Look, when you know that you got the devil on your heels, you have to do things to protect yourself. So I went to the child support office and signed myself up. And the people in the child support office said, no, Mr. Jones, don't do that. Wait for the mother to come and, and, and charge you for child support. I said, no, no, no. You, you don't, don't, you know, don't know my mother. <laughs> you don't know my, my daughter's mother. Uh-uh. No, no. She'll come with vengeance. Sign me up right now. So they looked and I was listen, like, listen, listen, sign me up. I don't want to make this difficult. Just give me the damn right. paperwork. Give me the damn paperwork. <laughs> because child support protects you. If you're serious about paying your child support. Right. Child support protects you. They say that child support is in the interest of the child. And child support, let's say one parent makes more money than the other parent. Mm-hmm. They take, they take only what they can take from the, from the parent who's making the lesser amount. Mm-hmm. And they don't try to do hardship for that parent. I, I, trust me, I went through 20 years of paying child support. And they explained the system well. They said, our number one focus is the child. Don't argue with us. We don't want to argue with the husband or the wife or the boyfriend or the girlfriend. We don't want to argue with either one of y'all. Right. It's about the kid. It's about the kid. Then whoever the non, the non-custodial parent is, whoever makes the lesser amount of money, whatever the, the court decides, right. whoever's the one who has to pay the child support, they go off what that person makes. So at LA Country Club, I was making... Thirteen fifty an hour, I think. Okay. They deducted four fifty a month. Uh, in child support. From check. Yeah. Yeah, from the check. Uh four fifty. Wait a minute. Money came out every pay period. I got paid bi weekly. Okay. But it totaled about four fifty, maybe five hundred, five fifty, something like that. A month. That's what. A month. That's what you were right. given to the kid. Exactly. Uh, so they take that amount out for the kid, and then they disperse the money to the parent. Right. Uh, so I did that for twenty years. Um, if I lost the job, I was unable to pay child support. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I got back on, right back on it, right back on it. So. Child support protects the parent who is paying child support because that is the amount that the court says is the amount the parent is required to pay. Nothing more, nothing less. Now, if the parent that's paying child support wants to pay more outside of that, which I did for other things, I didn't pay that portion. The extra amount I didn't pay to the mother. I did that with my daughter since my daughter was old enough. If she wanted to go buy something, I took her to go buy something. This is after the child support had been paid. Uh, if she needed something, I'd take her to go get it if I had it. 
So, but the required amount is what saves the parent. Now, I'm not talking about the parent that disowns the child and don't want to have nothing to do with the child or the mother. uh, And they're unwilling to pay child support. I'm talking about those fathers and mothers out there who are paying child support and they love their children and they want to participate as best they can, no matter what the, the problems were. Talking to those parents. Child support system will protect you because they take the amount based on what you are currently earning. Okay. And you have to stick with that amount until the child support is done. So for me, it took 20 years. How was San Jose? San Jose is a beautiful city, visually. Uh, Has some strange racial moments in San Jose. Really? Uh, Yeah. Um, Black people... Other people of color not necessarily smiled upon in the Bay Area, specifically San Jose. Um, That's like a very liberal town. Oh, <laughs> right. You're you're gonna think like California of all places and a liberal yeah, town. Yeah, but it's it's sprinkled with some 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 folks with some some ulterior views. Some uh, <laughs> some. Um, some don't let the sun go down on your on your behind before you get out of here type of views. So I've had a few I had a few experiences there that that made me kind of judge San Jose in a different light. Um, but ultimately, San Jose, a beautiful city, too expensive to live in. Right. I mean, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. L.A. to San Jose, and at that time, it's booming tech time. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm trying to mind my own business. I'm still paying child support. I'm trying to do what I can. Uh, I'm trying to get back to Los Angeles to see my daughter at any point. And you have these little weird moments that pop up where uh, I'm riding on the train. Uh, San Jose has this beautiful train system that goes through the town. Um, And I'm riding on the train one day, got my earphones on, trying to enjoy a little music before I get to my stop. And then I have to walk to the... the, uh, to my, to where I was working. Okay. And uh, a young white guy, young white guy comes up and punches the window of the train. And he's, he's yelling at me through the glass and he's like, you fucking nigger and blah, blah, blah. And bring your ass off this train and blah, blah, blah. He's, he's this, he's that. And I'm looking at the guy like, first of all, who are you? And what did I do to you? (laughs) You know, tell me this isn't San Jose. Tell me this is just some random situation. But night after night on the train, coming home or day after day, going going to work in San Jose, I'd run into some white nationalists. I'd run into some yeah, really? Oh yes. I'd run into some I'd run into some some white people. A a, a white lady. There's a white lady gets on the train another day. White lady gets on the train and she's got a bike. Now she, she on the, on the other hand, she's a little different. She's, she's intolerant. She appears to be intolerant of a lot of stuff because there's a lot of assuming liberal progressives on the train, right? Sure. I mean, Christ, where you're at? I think three people voted for a Republican in that area. Doesn't mean there aren't any hateful folks in that city. Right. So it sure, gave me, 
But you're assuming when you hear like liberal progressives, you're thinking, I'm hugging everything. Look, that's the vibe I got when I got to San Jose was, wow, what a wonderful city. But my experiences there, my my direct one-on-one experiences in San Jose were racist, where I'm minding my own business. And I'm, I'm telling you about this one particular lady. She doesn't seem to be biased about anything. She hates whatever. There's a, there's a homeless white guy. Young, looks kind of young, but looks like he's struggling with something. She doesn't like the fact that he's struggling with something. She cusses him out, tells him, get the hell out of my way, whatever. It's about her stop on the train. She's about ready to get off. I've moved to, to the door. She's rolling with her bike. She's walking with her bike to get off the train. And she intentionally tries to run over my feet at the door of the train before she exits. And she said, that was for you too, nigger. Get out my fucking way. That's, this is San Jose. This is San Jose. And all of a sudden I'm like, are there more of these people here in San Jose? Is this San Jose? Is San Jose a right-wing city? A racist, southern, fuck-all-nigger city? Not even close. <laughs> I mean, that, uh, not even close. So that was the thought, though. Because sure. The, because the good, wholesome liberals weren't saying anything to me. That, so you, only, that, that you thought, right? Well, I mean... That's the thing. I can't tell who who white people are from looking at them. I can't tell if you're a Republican or an independent or a Democrat or a a, a left far leftist or a far rightist. I can't tell. But but you know, and that kind of goes to show like we label people like you've got to be this to be that. You could just be an asshole. Yes, you could be. I mean, you don't have to be a letter. You could just be an asshole. You could just be an asshole. Fine, be an asshole. But why does the racist thing always have to come out of your mouth when you're an asshole? Because ignorant assholes can't keep it in their mouth. <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's okay. just it. I mean, right. just, I mean, well, I mean, look, okay, if, if asshole is what we want to call it, then fine. Nobody is racist. Well, everybody is asshole, <laughs> right? We know that both of them are being racist, but... I think it's one of those things where you just kind of look at it and you go, what is wrong with you? In the lowest form. Right. You know, she's not going to go to your house, put a cross up and burn. She's just an asshole. She's an ignorant, stupid, mouth-breathing boob. Like, just... I don't know that, And we have them walking amongst us. Right. But I don't know that, though, if the only thing that comes out of your mouth is racist. Right. Now, if you're an asshole and you're just angry and you're telling you're telling another human being, hey, get the hell out of my way. Like, right. I, like we're walking in New York or something. Fine. I can understand that. But when you lead with racist, that makes me think, oh, you're a racist. Right. Because <laughs> you didn't lead with anything else. Right. You didn't lead with, hey, motherfucker, you stepped on my foot. Yeah. Move your fat ass right. out of Move the way. Move your fat ass out. Stop eating all them burgers, bitch. <laughs> you, you didn't lead with that. You, le- you led with Color. nigger. 
Right. Fuck you. <laughs> did that did that spoil your time? Because I mean, you're I mean that that's gotta make you be like, what the hell am I here for? Go fuck yourself. It soured San Jose for me because I was already And the interesting thing is, this is California, where you were in Georgia, the South. Yeah. Well, I had some stuff in the South, too. Right, but I don't, it's horrible to say, oh, I expect it, but that's a history of 160 years ago. And that's dumb to say, but that's where, if you and I were betting men, we'd be like, let's take Kevin and Matt to Georgia and see what happens. Right. Take you and I to San Jose. I'm more worried about getting hit by a Tesla. <laughs> right, I mean, hit me, hit me, okay. Right, it just sounds so crazy that that's where you're getting like yeah. lit up. Well, I don't think a, it matters on a subway. I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters. Racism is wherever it's at. Yeah, it, it does show at some point wherever you're at. Yeah, yeah. There's no safe haven. Yeah, you can label a place a a this a that a sanctuary city a liberal state or whatever you want. There's just ignorant asshole racist people when you find them. Listen, I'll say this about another incident I had as a I was driving a flatbed still in Georgia, and uh, had to make a delivery at a trucking company somewhere. No, I was in Alabama, and uh, I was making I was delivering cell phone poles uh, <laughs> on the flatbed, and. Um, Pulled into this one particular company, had to go in and let them know, hey, I'm here to make this to make this drop off. And uh, when I made the drop off and got back to my got back to my trucking company, a coworker of mine needed some help out back behind behind the, the business. There was some stuff that need that needed to be moved. Nicest guy ever. Says, Kevin, it's too far to get around there to the back on foot. Let's hop in my truck. He opens up his white old Chevy truck. Big old Confederate flags laying right there on the seat. And at first I was nervous, like, I'm not getting in this motherfucking truck. I'm not doing that. But he was so nice. He was so wonderful. I went on and got in the truck. And we went on around the back. And we did the work we had to do. So it's not about the things we see with our eyes. It's not about the fact that the guy had a Confederate flag on the seat in his truck that meant he might have been automatically racist. No, he may have just been proud of something, right? So if the person who has the con- Confederate flag didn't take me around, around the back of the, the company and lynch me on the nearest tree, but the little sweet lady holding the bike in San Jose and cussed me out from, from Timbuktu to, to wherever else and called me the nigger, I can't judge on mere appearances. Right. But then she's got the Obama sticker on her car. And she's like, I, I, I love that guy. Right. I voted for him twice. Right. Right. Yeah. In front of your liberal friends. Yeah. But when he's not around, what are you calling him? Yeah. You know, I think that's the analogy. Like, so you rather, you rather know who's in the clan than the guy who says he's your friend, and when you're not around, he's the one planning your lynching? I've always said, I love my, uh, my racist aggressive. I don't like them hidden. I don't like them right. smiling at me 
and then doing something under the under the sheet. No, uh-huh. I like my racist aggressive like they <laughs> used to be back in the day. You know, let me know. That's right. <laughs> just just on the up and up. Just, just sure. be aggressive. Say that yeah. shit right out. Just you know, hey, this is right. what it is. Well, in the way, then at least everybody in society knows who you are. Like everybody, right. did you get a sense on that subway when? Was other people looking at that woman like, whoa, well, what yes. the hell, white lady? So after it happened, some other progressives stood up and said, excuse me. They stood up and they said, excuse me, lady, what did you just say him to him? Like they were ready to do something. But she scurried on off the train after that and nothing was made of it. Right. So that, that let me know that they are, they appear to be after the fact the heroes. Sure. You know. Right. I already got socked in my jaw. Now you come with a you come with a band aid, right? Um, are you okay? Yeah. Are you, are you okay? okay? That was horrible. That was absolutely horrible. What what happened? But by the me? way, I shot for vertical video for you, and right. I'm going to post it. And <laughs> yeah, let everybody know. Yeah, yeah. No. How about just be as aggressive as that lady was, or whatever? Now yeah. I can't can't promote any violence <laughs> either. How quickly do you get out of San Jose? San Jose. Sound, sound like we're in a Tony Bennett song. Right. <laughs> Some, something of San Jose. Right. No, San Jose was a... Short stop? 30, 60, 90. I think San Jose was a 90-day shelter. Yeah. It's it's so crazy to know that you're living your life in intervals of 30, 60, 90. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was a 90-day shelter. But listen, if you're homeless... And you just ain't got nowhere else to go. You need, and I hope they're still serving people. You need to go to Montgomery Street Inn in San Jose and get there ASAP. Ask for a bed. Behave yourself because they take really good care of you um, for the time that you have. San, wow. San Jose. I mean, a beautiful shelter. So how quickly do you get out of there? I take the whole 90 days. And then where do you go? Back to L.A. And start cycle over again or what? Skid Row. Union Rescue Mission. Now, this is my last time. I leave San Jose. I leave San Jose in 2017. Have to resign the security job that I got there in San Jose. Uh, Get back to L.A. Daughter's having some issues. Uh, check in at Skid Row Union Rescue Mission I'm standing in that line and I notice in the line there's another person who had left the San Jose shelter he's in that line with me at at Union Rescue Mission Uh, now he's in a wheelchair Um, I get a bed get in that shelter and I'm there from 2017 at some point, I think maybe August 2017 till June 18th, 2018. Uh, I'm sorry, I skipped the shelter. <laughs> I hate when that There's happens. One way I hate when that happens. <laughs> There's another shelter. There's another shelter called Volunteers of America. It's down on 34th. It's down on 34th and Broadway 
in Los Angeles. God love you. You got a memory. It's a toilet bowl. Uh, You do not, unless you are in absolute dire straits, uh, you do not want to go stay there unless they've done made some significant changes. Uh, It's dangerous. What's the worst thing you think you've seen in L.A., Skid Row? Uh, Union Rescue Mission, I saw a guy, elderly gentleman, um, get physically attacked over a cell phone. Um, Apparently there's rules in the shelter. One of those unwritten rules is you don't touch another man's cell phone, uh, another person's cell phone. Uh, Because the immediate thought is you're trying to steal it or something or damage it. And in the shelter life, people, their property is, it, it, is serious. It belongs to them. It's all they got. Right. It's right. all they got. So if they feel like you're trying to steal something from them, the natural response is physical or verbal attack. Uh, so this, this older gentleman, I won't say elderly, he's still capable of taking care of himself. I think he went over to a, an outlet and he moved it intentionally or unintentionally. He moved another person's cell phone. Um, he was, maybe he was trying to do something. Maybe he assumed that that cell phone belonged to him because a lot of the, they call them Obama phones, Mm -hmm. but those phones actually came out in the Bush administration. Um, he moved the cell phone, probably was confused, thought the phone belonged to him. A younger guy came over and and violently attacked this guy to the point where he needed paramedics and he's leaking all over the floor in the in the union rescue mission. Um, staff didn't do anything. They just kind of stood back. Or a staff called LAPD. LAPD building is right next door. They call yeah. it they call it Fort Wall because it's on Wall Street and it looks like it looks like a military base. Um, LAPD came over quickly. And got in there and did what they had to do. Uh, and um, medical professionals came in and helped the guy out. Um, but, the, and that's another reason why, even though there's violence outside the shelter, that's another reason why a lot of people don't want to come in the shelter. It's because there's violence in the shelter. Depending on which shelter you're in, there's more or less. Mm-hmm. But Union Rescue Mission has some incidents of violence in it because the people are are desperate and in, in, and in different parts of their lives. Is the cell phone the most valuable thing you have? In the shelter? Probably not. What's the most valuable thing? Maybe a drug that you're selling or a drug that you're buying. It's probably the most valuable or most important thing. How did you... Get your phone. Were you on an Obama phone? Because that's, you know, that's what uh, they tag it as the Obama phone. You can get I the, think the, I was. I think I was. Who, who, who keep like, is it a minutes? Like 500 minutes a, a month or how, how's the payment go? How does it work? Um, the, the Obama phones come through like the food stamp system, the government system. Okay. Uh, so if, if you're signed up for food stamps, uh, through the Department of Social Services. Okay. Then those people that you see out on the corner under those tents that are selling those phones or, mm-hmm. or, or exchanging those phones, mm-hmm. they use your your food stamp ID card to sign you up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's no cost 
to the to the homeless person to get a cell phone. You're just registered. You're just registered. Okay. As an official user of this particular phone. Because we'll see homeless people on phones. You know, uh, there's a guy I pass literally twice a day going into coming home from work and he's on his phone at this best stop and it's his bus stop and he's just there and he's swiping left and swiping right. I don't know if he's doing well on Tinder or what, but he's a busy beaver. (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's different types of cell phones too. Uh, If you're not on an Obama phone, then you, then you, maybe you've gone to these cheaper cell phone companies like Metro PCS Mm -hmm. or Boost Mobile. Right. You get a solid fee every month for for a phone. You buy the phone, then you pay $40, $55 a month. Um, good phones to have if you're on a budget. Yeah, I mean, and if you're trying to do a, get a job like you were, mm-hmm. everything now is on a phone. Yes. You know, there, there's no, you don't go and get a job and they fill out a paperwork and turn it in to the yes. HR. Yes, so you it, need, they even say, homeless. They say go to our website, fill yes. out the app there. Yes, even homeless, you need a phone. Right. For, for various reasons. Me being homeless, but functional, still going to a job every day. Uh, I needed a phone. Right. Email, schedule, everything. My supervisor on the job or boss calling me. Kevin, we know you're off today, but we need you to come in. You want some overtime? Yes. They would call me on my cell phone, whether it was the Obama phone or my other low, low income phone. Right. Um, that's just it. You know, you, you use the tools that are available to you uh, to better yourself. And only you, the homeless person, knows what you're doing there. Are you there because this is all it, this is it for you? You're going to be homeless the rest of your life. You're going to grow old, homeless, and die down here. Right. Or are you just passing through? Did you, did you lose your home in the 2008 housing crisis? Uh, did you make some other bad decisions? Were you late paying your rent and you got evicted? And you ended up down here. Mm-hmm. Maybe you have mental plans of getting yourself back up on your feet. Yeah. And that's what the homeless system is for. And there's a, there's a percentage of people that are down there for that. You said your daughter was having a rough spot. You got to come back to LA. Yeah. You got to be a dad. You got to do dad stuff. Yeah. Were you prepared? It's tough to like turn the switch on and off to be dad, not be dad. Be dad away. Be dad on presence. Well, I don't know what prepared is, but I was, I was up to the challenge mentally. Um, whatever the challenge was, I knew how to be an encouragement or or a soothing voice to my daughter uh, if she needed it. Uh, I knew how to be a voice of correction for her if she needed it. Uh, she saw some of my journey through homelessness. Uh, and while, while she saw it, I would be encouraging her and speaking to her and say, you know, stuff like just because you see your dad like this doesn't mean that you're going to end up like this. Um, this was just, um, the, the, the repercussions of some bad decisions I made or decisions I didn't make. And I'm, and I'm just going through it, but I guarantee you, your father won't be here always. So she she walked with me through it. She saw some stuff, and I'm glad she saw some things uh, because we don't want our children necessarily walking around with rose-colored glasses on. Uh, we want them to see certain things and, and use them as teaching moments if we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I took a bad situation, and for her, 
always turned it to a teaching moment, you know, and she, she didn't care where I was. She was happy to see me and wanted to see me. So she'd come down to Skid Row and see me. Was uh, that tough for you? Yes. Uh, Cause I'd have to walk her to the bus stop, make sure she got on the bus safe. Um, or I'd had to, I'd, I'd have to meet her at the bus stop and walk her back to my place in Skid Row to make sure we got there safely. Um, and it was also tough because as a father, you never want your children to see you in a tough situation like that. So there was a pride issue. There was a, there was an inward shame on you. You, you're not really a good father. Shame on you for letting your child see you in such a difficult situation. You know, the assumption is that you're supposed to graduate high school, go to college, get a great job, save money, buy a house, get married, have children, grow old and die. That's the, that's the American picket fence thing. So if things, if your life doesn't follow that path, certain people in society look at you and say, you're a failure because you didn't follow life's path. So inwardly, I'm in that battle. Inwardly, I'm saying, man, Kevin, you screwed up. You screwed this life up. And you have a child. Shame on you. This is stuff I'm going through. Just kicking myself, kicking myself down the road. Like that old school game, kick the can. (laughs) Where were you at? Career-wise, I mean, you're, you're back, you're in L.A., you're dealing with her. Mm-hmm. Are you thinking, okay, got to get a job, got to get myself settled. God damn it, Kevin, we got to get a house. We cannot keep hopping around from skid row to skid row. Like, right. Well, here's the thing. Um, I had already had that understanding. That, that, that same epiphany was with me uh, from, from 2014. Um, that everything I'm doing from 2014 on up is to get back and get back and better. And so that last little stint in Union Rescue Mission, which I'm so appreciative for, uh, I started seeing a positive attitude circulating and that I'm rising. I'm rising up out of the ashes. And next thing you know, I meet a young lady who's a therapist and while she's giving me the therapy that I, that I intentionally signed up for, because that's another thing that happens when you go through that struggle of homelessness, you start having inward battles mentally. And so I went to the local therapist. There's a therapist office on uh, Los Angeles County department of mental health on sixth street. Okay. On sixth street, downtown LA close to Skid Row. I went in there one day and I intentionally signed myself up for therapy just to make sure that while I was going through my journey, I was okay. And that I was, I was not losing my bearings mentally. And so while I did that, I ended up meeting a therapist and while she's giving me my therapy, uh, once, uh, once or twice every month, uh, once every two weeks. Uh, she said, hey, Kevin, I've got, uh, I've got contact with some sources for housing. Would you like an apartment? And I said, yes. 
She said, okay, fill out this paperwork. Filled out the paperwork. And about six months after the filling out of the paperwork, she said, okay, Kevin, congratulations. I got your apartment. You can move out. So June 18th, 2018, I pack up my belongings out of the Union Rescue Mission, paid for a taxi with my hard-earned security officer money, and got on over to my apartment. And that was my last day being homeless. How did that feel? I felt amazing. Like, like Will Smith's movie, Pursuit of Happiness, when he was no longer homeless and had fi- finally gotten that job and he comes out clapping his hands and fighting off tears, that was me. Because the homeless journey started in 2011, June 25th, 2011. It started here. It started mentally. And by June 18th, 2018, it had been physical. And I had been through hell and back. Mental hell, physical hell. Seeing things I didn't want to see. Thinking things I didn't want to think. And going through therapy. And coming out on the end of it with a a roof over my head, a place that I could put a key in the door and lock myself in and prepare for whatever was next. That must've been one hell of a moment for you to open that key and go in that door and just know that the little, this little place is yours. Oh, it was like a warm blanket on a cold day. It was like a hot cup of coffee in the winter. It was like a hug right when you're about to lose it emotionally. Man, it was powerful. It was amazing because I had discovered some things about myself along that journey. I had discovered, first of all, the old Kevin had died, left him in Skid Row. The old Kevin that was concerned about what people thought had died. The old Kevin that was irresponsible financially and emotionally and everything else. That person had died. I felt new. I felt different. I felt like whatever's going to happen now, it's going to happen and I have power over it. I will go into it with a clear mind. Because once you've been to hell, what else can, once you've been to the front door of hell, we call, I call Skid Row the front door of hell. It's like that lobby area. Like, like if hell, if hell had a front porch, Skid Row is that porch. Just right there. Just right there. And so you could decide you're going to hang out on hell's porch. Or you can decide I'm leaving this community all together with a new mind, new thoughts, new plan. You got your place. You got a job. Mm-hmm. Education? Not yet. I first found out that my daughter had been physically and sexually assaulted by one of the preachers, one of the, one of the reverends, one of the, one, of the, one of the men of the cloth. How'd you find that out? Uh, I saw bruises on my daughter's body when she came by to visit me at my apartment. And she tried to hide them. And she's black. 
Yes. She's my complexion. Like, like, like Godiva chocolate. That must have been, those must have been one hell of a bruise. That was a bruise. It was a bruise. I mean, wow. I saw it. And she tried to hide it from me. And her boyfriend at the time pulled me aside. And he let me know, uh, Mr. Jones, um, those bruises didn't come from where she tried to tell you they came from. They came from so-and-so. A guy representing the Christian faith, a guy serving in church somewhere in Los Angeles, physically and sexually assaulted my daughter. And the boyfriend knows he tells you to kind of get your the story straight because your daughter's obviously telling you a different story. And you keep your shit together? Barely. See now the mental health, that's where that's where the mental health came in. Right, that therapist okay. should be employee of the year. <laughs> the therapist, because I went to the therapist. I went to the therapist. Oh, you went to her. You I went, went to the therapist after I found out because I only have one child. I have a daughter. Right. I don't I don't have 50 and 60 kids that I that I'm not fathering. I have one child that I love dearly. And mistakes included, I still try to be the best father I can for that child. And you're telling me that not Pookie and Ray Ray from the neighborhood, not not some pedophile from the neighborhood. Not some gangbanger or drug dealer from the neighborhood. But you're telling me a minister at a church who my daughter mom happens to be dating sexually assaults my daughter? So so the reverend, the minister, when 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 my daughter's mom goes out of town, he goes up to my daughter's school that I helped my daughter get enrolled in. He catches my daughter outside of the school and he physically now hold on to your hats. Everybody that's listening to the podcast right now, hold on to your hats. So he catches my daughter outside of the school. He approaches her, strong arms her. This is where the bruising starts coming in. And he says, I'm trying to be your stepfather. Why won't you let me? And my daughter is a diehard for me. She's roll dog for, for her daddy. She says, I don't need a stepfather. I have, my, I have my dad and he's wonderful. And we have a great relationship. Hold on to your hats now if you're listening. If you're listening to the podcast, hold on to your hats. So Reverend, after he couldn't get my daughter to answer the question about being a stepfather, Reverend says, okay, well then can we fuck? Let me repeat that to everybody in the audience who's listening and holding their head, holding their face, holding their face right now. Not the gangbanger, not the pedophile, not the drug dealer, not the stupid little kid in the neighborhood, but the guy representing the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian church who happens to be dating my mom, her mom who happens to be dating her mother decides he wants to have sex with mom and he wants a taste of the daughter as well. 
So he approaches my daughter at her school when mom is out of town. And he says, I've been trying to be your stepfather. Why won't you let me? Daughter responds how she responded. Then the reverend, once again, y'all hold on to your hat. Then the reverend says, okay, then, well, can we fuck? So now I'm in murder mode, mentally. The nerdy kid from Verbum Day High School who made poor decisions, who's never felt any type of emotions like this ever before in his life. Now he's thinking about murder. Everybody. Everybody involved. Listen to me. I said everybody involved, including mom. My thoughts were murder. I'm planning murder. So I take a walk. I'm emotionally disturbed. I am emotionally disturbed. I call my therapist. I tell my therapist what's going on. Therapist says, Kevin, you realize anything you share with me, I'm, I'm legally bound to share stuff with the proper authorities. Are you sure you want to continue? And I said, no, that's okay. I'll deal with it on my own. So I'm thinking, what kind of father are you? You've already made some mistakes in life. You've already been absent for a few years from your daughter's life. You've already been fighting through homelessness and trying to bounce back and trying to prove that you're this good guy and you can, you can make up for lost time. Then this happens. And your mental, your mental capacity begins to go past 1,000. And now you're thinking, you're not a good father if you don't do something about this. What kind of father just lets somebody touch their child? You're not going to pick up a stick and go find this guy and, and bash his head in at least? You're not going to go find a gun and shoot him in the pulpit at his church? What kind of father are you? You ain't no fucking father. Shame on you. So I'm planning a murder. And I take a walk. And I take a walk to the nearest local park. It's called Looters Park in Compton, California. Not exactly a park you should be walking in. But at this point, life's not going good for me. While I'm walking through the park, there happens to be some sort of community fair happening. As I'm walking, I hear a young lady call out to me, sir, sir. I turn around and I see a young lady at a booth. The booth she's sitting at is the Compton College booth. They're recruiting to get students to come to school. Not recruiting, but whatever that is. Mm -hmm. 
The young lady calls out to me and she doesn't know that I'm planning a murder mentally. The young lady calls out to me and she says, sir, do you want to go to school? I entertain the thought for just a moment while I'm still circulating those thoughts of rage and emotional instability. And I walk over to the lady. She has no idea I'm planning several murders. Walk over to the lady, fill out the paperwork. Sure, why not? Got nothing else to lose. Turn the paperwork in. I leave the park and head back to my apartment. A few days, maybe a couple weeks pass by. One of my phones rang, Obama phone or whatever it was. It's Compton College calling. Compton College says, hey, Mr. Jones, we, we, we got your paperwork here. We see that you're interested in signing up for school this fall. Why don't you come on down and see us? Compton College has no idea that I'm planning a murder. That I'm figuring out what it means to be a man, supposedly. Because men don't let their daughters just get fucked with like that. So I go down to see them at Compton College. Complete the enrollment process. What the hell else I got to lose? Isn't that what Trump said? What the hell else you got to lose? Next thing you know, I am a student at Compton College majoring in communications. Next thing you know, I'm getting good grades. Grades I've never seen in my life. Nothing lower than a B. I'm getting A's and B's across the board. Classes I never thought I would do good in. Math. A in math. All of a sudden, this academic spark is growing. All of a sudden, I can do this classwork. The light bulb, the academic light bulb is on. Next thing you know, it's 2021. Commencement time. Can you believe I'm about to graduate from Compton Community College with an AA degree in communications after two years prior planning a murder? Well, I said, well, well my goodness, I'm doing good in school. Well, let me continue. Transferred to Cal State University, Dominguez Hills. Started over there as a journalism major, but I didn't know who I was. And I said, you know what, Kevin, you have an opportunity here. You are an older student, but you are a university student. You really should make this worth your while. You should take some time to really learn more about you and your culture. So I changed from journalism to Africana studies and learned all I could. Next thing you know, it's fall 2021. I'm a junior at the university. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm recommended for the Mellon Mays Undergraduate Fellowship. I'm officially a Mellon. <laughs> Next thing you know, there are people on campus that I don't even know rooting for me. Because I started school at, at the age of 49, when I thought your life was over pretty much at 49. And I'm about to graduate school again in 2023 
with a BA degree, a bachelor's degree in Africana studies. Next thing you know, I'm graduating. I meet the host of the show, Matt Brown. He's taking my photo and, and interviewing me and we're talking. And I don't really have good enough answers for Matt. When he says, how does it feel? I say, Matt, I don't know. I feel like I'm still exhaling. Can you believe four years ago I was planning on which prison to spend the rest of my life in? And today I have a bachelor's degree that I didn't think was possible to get at my age. Not only that, the school decides to write a paper, uh, a news article on me, which turns out to inspire a whole bunch of other people my age and a handful of young folks. Next thing you know, I am accepting an offer for graduate studies at Cal State University, Los Angeles for business administration. Are you telling me that the kid from Verbum Day High School who hated school didn't get any guidance from any particular parent, struggled as best he could to figure out life, Light bulb didn't turn on for a while. The light bulb finally turns on and that same kid who thought he hated school burned his books in the backyard. He's on his way to graduate studies con considering a PhD and I'm a business owner. Are you kidding me? Are you telling me that if you put your mind to something and change your mind from other things that anything is possible? Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. If I can do it, anybody can do it. The real question is, and the most important question is, what's the small business that you're in? I opened a catering business. It's a, uh, it's a, uh, um, it's a catering business, but what's the name of it? It's called Nostalgic Home Kitchen LLC. All right. Is there a website? There's no website yet. I'm still building it. Fifteen million people are going to listen to this podcast. I'm, I'm still building <laughs> it. Anybody knows how to help me continue building it? Let me know. Reach how, can out they, to how can they reach out to you then? Listen, you can email me at info at nostalgiahomekitchen.com. There you go. Or my regular email address is kevin.quincy.jones at gmail.com. Uh, I, I, I have a listening ear. I have two listening ears. Anything you can do to help uh, me on this learning process. How frightening were you or frightened were you that you could possibly have been that close to murdering two people? Wasn't frightening. Wasn't frightening. I had wrapped my mind around it. If you're going to murder somebody, make it be for your daughter. Yeah. But I mean, you know, we all, we all talk about, Oh, 
about what I would do. I, you know, the guy late on the subway. Oh, hey, lady. Ten minutes later, you were getting how? I mean, you were getting to the point of the rage of very few people get. Yes. Did that frighten you to get there to see yourself? Have you had outer body experience of like, oh my god, I never saw this in a Kevin before, and now he's a he's a borderline monster like this rage. I think it did, but the rage was so intense, I didn't have time to to spend reflecting on it. The rage was so intense. A parent's rage, right? It was. It's, oh, it's I the never most, felt it. Right? They say that about mother bears. Don't get between yes. a mother bear and a cub. Right. I, you know, I uh, understand that now. I understand it now. I never felt that. It, it, is, it is that rage. And I hope any, everybody that's listening that understands that level of rage when, when your child or your children get touched in some kind of way, um... I understand it now. It it was it was all consuming. How did you come to grips with the situation? Sanely. My daughter helped me. Uh, the therapist helped. Therapist said, um, <clears throat> "Kevin, you've come a long way. You've uh, you've you've come leaps and bounds. Is this really where the world ends?" Did you do all of this surviving to end the road here by choosing which penitentiary you're going to go to? So that was food for thought. Do you walk on thin ice now still to this day? Or have you kind of come to grips with a situation and what's a healthy situation to live in? Homelessness teach you, teaches you that. Homeless teaches you a lot of things. Uh, especially if you're serious about no longer being homeless. Um, teaches you discipline and boundaries. Um, who to talk to, who not to talk to. Who to be in relationship with, who not to be in relationship with. Um... It also teaches you to control yourself and your emotions. Um, the only person you can control in this life is you. I've had to learn that for myself. Uh, so in that process of all those things, all those disciplines, uh, I've learned that there's certain people I can't be around. Um, if I find myself around them, it might go bad. It might go south. So if I do my best to build the best life I can build and steer clear of those areas and those persons, those types of people who may mean me no good, um, then I'm okay. It's, uh, it's the Incredible Hulk. The Bill Bixby Incredible Hulk. Mm -hmm. You wouldn't like me when I'm angry. Please, don't make me angry. You're learning how to control that thing. It's not that being angry is bad. It's that as men and women, we have to learn the self-control. Self-control might show itself in where you place yourself. 
Don't go in certain places. Don't hang around certain people. Or self-control might have to do with your tongue. Can you imagine having that rage at 18? And you had it, it was buried. We all bear, it comes out. But if that rage was redlining all the time for you. I'd be dead. Right. Yeah. And the, the scary thing is, that's who those people are that die like that. And live this crazy life of just, you're like, how would they do that? Who shoots into open spaces? And who, people with that kind of rage, they no sense of, of what's really happening. They're just redlining all right. the time. Yeah. Yeah. Can't live redlined. And they live amongst us. Yes. You can't live redlined. Everybody has a red line. Uh, at some point in life, it might be necessary to, to reach it or cross it. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with crossing the red line when it's necessary. But you have to have discipline along with it. Right. Well, it's, it's, it's like with the Marines, we talked about it earlier, any father teaches the son, you want them to be taught to be a monster, right? To be that rage. Mm-hmm. But you want them to be able to control it. Absolutely. Control it. That's, yeah. that's what I've had to learn is control it. Yeah. Balance. Learn what it is you have. Um, you, can, you can be unbalanced with the good qualities of your life. Right. You could be an extremely giving person, but go overboard with it. Not have discipline and get taken advantage of that way. That's that warning I gave about the, the people that want to do good and go down to the to the shelters and go down to Skid Row. Don't go down there naive. Right. Be disciplined about your giving. Because there's wolves down there that don't have your good heart in mind. Kevin, I have worked here for just over a year. And you are by far the favorite subject I've had and person I've got to meet at Dominguez Hills. Wow, that means a lot. Wow. I, I, uh, I loved our work together. I love your story. I can't be more proud of you. I think there's great things to come. And you know what I can't wait to see is you as a grandfather. I think you're going to be a great grandpa. Yeah. You ever thought about that? I haven't thought about that. Uh, but that's... Uh... That's up to my daughter. Sure it is. Of course. For for a number of reasons. Of course. But I think that knee would be great for a little one to bounce off it and you could tell stories. Yeah. Let let my beard get a little longer. (laughs) I want want my beard to be wider. I want to be sitting on a porch in Batesville, Mississippi. What? uh, uh, Chewing on a tree branch and and have some tea next to me or or, or a... one of those old pipes. Yeah, yeah, right. The, the old corn pipes. Pipe. The corn, corn pipes. Yes. yes. Let's wait for that. Okay, you say so. Good luck in that Masters. Thank you. Good luck Thank in you. life. Thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. I'm excited. Life is good. You're a powerful human being, Kevin. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to part two of my conversation with Kevin Jones. If you enjoyed this episode, please hit the like button and become a subscriber to the podcast. Remember to follow the Jessica Conversation podcast on Instagram, and you can find all of our past shows at the website at jessicaconversation.com. Thank you for listening.